0: Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Friday, May 22nd. We begin with our weekly chat with Mayor Nahed Nenshi. We'll get the mayor's views on whether or not our city will get the green light to move to the next phase of the province's phased-in reopening plan.
1: With restrictions slowly being lifted, a lot of people have thoughts now about heading to the mountains. We'll catch up with tourism, Canmore and Kananaskis on what's open and what you can expect if you're heading west.
0: Then we take a look at what life will look like post-pandemic, particularly when it comes to where we do our jobs. We hear the thoughts of a real estate and management professor from Ryerson University.
1: Next, we look at the ongoing saga of the provincial government's independent audit of the Calgary Board of Education. We get reaction to
0: the results of the review from the NDP's
1: education critic, Sarah Hoffman.
0: It's a new documentary which takes a snapshot of a single day of hockey in Canada as seen through the eyes of hockey fans from across the nation. Former Calgary Flames legend Lanny McDonald tells us about Hockey 24.
1: And finally, we hear the story of a Calgary author who turned a personal tragedy into a new book aimed at embracing the little things in life to manifest joy.
0: 743 normally in this slot we're joined by danielle smith brought to you by river's edge villa bungalows in Cochrane, featuring breathtaking views of the rocky mountains but during pandemic we've been fortunate enough to be joined in this slot by mayor nahed Nenci. good morning mayor good morning well, we're more than two months into the COVID 19 pandemic, and today's kind of a big day. We're going to find out if more Calgary businesses will be allowed to move into phase one of the reopening plan. I'm not sure if you have some inside info, if you have the inside track. Tell uh, us now. How, how are our chances looking?
2: <laughs> well, I think that everyone has seen the data. Um, and while we did have four deaths yesterday, and we are creeping up on 100 deaths, the things that the province are really looking at, which is hospitalizations, ICU admissions and what we call the R number, which is kind of the rate of community transmission, how many uh, people does someone who is infected also infect are all trending in the right direction. So I understand that there will be an announcement around noon today. Uh, whether restaurants and hair salons, which is the the two businesses we're talking about for Monday, will be allowed to open Monday. Uh, and unless the data have really changed overnight, I imagine that uh, that'll be good news for those businesses.
1: Alright, so let's go with the assumption they can open up. Will there be pretty strict regulations or will it be as we've seen in other jurisdictions uh, when it comes to salons and barbershops?
2: Uh, same regulations as we've seen in the rest of the province. Uh, and a lot of the uh, hairstylists had told me that they really weren't ready to open 10 days ago anyway because the guidelines had just come out. Uh, so your your haircutting experience will look very different. Um, and, you know, I guess that's the good news with all of us being on the radio. <laughs> Nobody knows how bad my hair looks.
0: Hallelujah. As far as uh, what we have seen so far with those businesses in retail, how do you think that has gone so far with some of the uh, different shops opening in uh, limited uh, mall stores?
2: Uh, We haven't really had very much trouble with compliance at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were a couple of uh, massage businesses that opened. That is not allowed. That's way out in stage three. Um, But beyond that, things were okay. Quite frankly, I think a lot of Calgarians are not really excited about venturing out into the mall. They're really keeping their shopping to things they really need. uh, And those are the numbers we've seen. And over time, uh, as we flatten the curve even more, people will get a little more confidence. But, you know, like I said last week, the key here is just to be kind and understand there are many different perspectives, but also to make sure that you're doubling down in your physical distancing, staying two meters or six feet or an Andy Schultz and a half apart. There it is. Um, <laughs> I
0: think that's a dig. I'm not sure. but uh, Two Andy know. Schultzes, you mean.
2: Oh, right. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen him in a long time. Radio now, right? (laughs) Yes, he's uh, shrinking. (laughs) But in any case, you still have to do that. And remember that they really doubled down as well on their advice around masks this week. So if you are basically in public, if you're on transit, if you're in shops, if you're out of the house with people you don't know, you should be covering your nose and mouth. And you can do that with a homemade mask, with a cloth bandana, with a disposable uh, non-medical mask if you're able to procure one and they are they do have them on the shelves now Uh, but that's really important uh, to keep those numbers down because we know as we ease the restrictions the infections will start to go up again it's a risk we're willing to take to help those businesses and those workers go forward but it really does put the onus on every one of us to make sure we're staying safe.
1: So, some final words to Calgarians who are listening. Let's, hopefully, we're going to hear some good news later today on on uh, all the businesses moving into that phase one. What would you like to say as uh, we say goodbye to you on this Friday morning?
2: Uh, just the same message as last week, which is of all the advice I've given you around clean hands, clear heads, open hearts, stay safe. The real message here is be kind, uh, stay safe, be kind, and together we'll continue to save lives. So we saved tens of thousands of lives based on the projections that's a big deal because the citizens actions don't 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 let up now
1: thanks mayor have a great weekend
2: thank you you too
1: that's calgary mayor Nahid nenshi
0: all right now that we're allowed to enjoy a little more freedom a lot of people want to head to the mountains uh but we're uh, being asked to be responsible when we do so for some tips we're joined this morning by rachel ludwig operations manager with tourism canmore cananaskis good morning to you rachel Good morning to you, Andrew. How are you? Yeah, good. So we want to get a change of scenery, but we need you to lay it on us. Give us some tips for how we can be responsible when we're visiting our neighbors to the West.
3: Yeah, thanks for checking in with us. So um, I think it's going to be important to just follow the health guidelines that Dr. Dina Hinshaw is putting out, as well as following when you go into a retail shop or into a restaurant. Just um, follow their safety measures so that we can make sure that, we all stay safe and keep flattening that
1: curve. Rachel, if we want to stop, say, in Canmore for a little break, what's open yeah. in town right now? And, and are, are we welcome there now at this point? <laughs> um, that's a good question. So our retail and restaurants
3: um, are slowly starting to open again. Um, you will see not all restaurants open. You will see not all retail shops open but the ones that are open um have put safety measures in place so that it's safe for you to visit so um the best thing to do is plan ahead um maybe give your favorite restaurant or uh, retail shop a call to see you know what are you expected to do and whether you can um, take get a reservation um if your restaurant um, is not open yet they might do takeout that you can take home so Um, Our businesses really need you. They need your business. We are happy for you to come, but uh, we just ask you to do so responsibly.
0: What about lodging, Rachel? Uh, Any (laughs) hotels open or Airbnb or is it just a day trip scenario right now?
3: Um, No, the hotels are open um, and they have amazing cleaning protocols in place to keep everyone safe. Um, They work closely through the Alberta Hotel and Lodging Association and with Alberta Health Services um, to keep everyone safe that um, decides to come and stay overnight. Um, I can imagine that a lot of people get sick of their own (laughs) home. And their own Um, cooking. (laughs) (laughs) And their own cooking, exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, come on, stay overnight, stay two nights if you please. Um, You know, there's things like rooms will sit empty in between guests so that, you know, um, they have enough time to clear out and are safe for the next guest. So um, we do really everything to um, keep Canmore as safe as possible for residents as well as for visitors.
1: Rachel, from Tourism Canmore, can and ask us uh, from your point of view, how can we be the best possible visitors to come your way?
3: (laughs) I love that question. So the first is if you do feel sick, just please wait a little longer. Um, the mountains are here to stay. kenmore is here to stay. So, you know, if you need to wait this out for a weekend longer, just do so. Um, we don't have any new COVID cases since yesterday, so we are COVID-free right now, and we would love to keep it that way. Um, and also be mindful and considerate about everyone around you. Um, you know, give everyone the two meters, six feet um, space. Um, if you go into a retail shop, wear a mask to avoid the spread. And, you know, keep us safe. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's mm-hmm. the biggest message for us. Like, you know, our residents are scared, mm-hmm. but we need you. We want you. We love our visitors. So come, but do so in a responsible way.
0: Great messages. Thank you so much for your time, Rachel.
3: Thank you, Andrew and Sue. Have a great day. You too.
0: That is Rachel Ludwig, Operations Manager with Tourism Canmore, Kananaskis. 609 on the morning news. How will residential housing and commercial real estate fare in a post-pandemic world as we rethink our home and our work lives? We're joined now by Ryerson University real estate management professor Murtaza Haider. Good morning, Murtaza. Good morning. I I think that all of us, uh, Murtaza, are uh, thinking about post-pandemic and getting back to normal. But when it comes to real estate, will we see things back to normal?
4: Yeah, and there are two interesting things you said. You said post-pandemic and normal. I think uh, post-pandemic is way off. Um, We will be living with COVID-19 for a very long period. And if you listen to the World Health Organization officials carefully, they're thinking that even with the vaccine, uh, we still will have COVID-19 in the system. Um, That same is the case with measles. So this is not something that we will be in a post-COVID-19 world pretty soon. And the second is, um, I think uh, the word normal uh, would become um, sort of one of those things that are, you know, when you say this is normal and then you realize nothing is normal. So with these two caveats aside, what I think would happen is that we are probably in a great reset right now. This great lockdown, as IMF calls it, with a great reset. And the great reset is for us to realize how can we shape our lives in space and time differently? And and that is what is happening. We individually are realizing that we can actually spend more time um, with our kids and 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 family members. And companies are realizing, businesses are realizing that their their employees could be equally product productive, e- even if they are not being forced to commute every day to these workplaces. So a lot of uncertainty, people are um, uh, a little afraid about what they don't know, and the unknown unknowns are very large, which means that on the housing side, um, people who were thinking of buying or selling, they are sitting on the sidelines. The sales have gone down by 70 to 80% across Canada for housing sales. At the same time, the listings have gone down. People who were thinking of selling or listing their homes, those listings have gone down by 70 to 80 percent so you see a massive slowdown in sales activity even though housing prices have uh, more or less kept the pace they have not slid more than one two percent here or there so so that is that is what is happening on the residential side on the commercial side because commercial leases are long term and they are not immediately renewable now uh, we, one will see the impact at a time when leases become renewed, come up for renewal, and by that time, many firms and businesses would have realized that they may have um, abundant space or redundant space, and they may either curtail um, on the use of the commercial space that they have, or they may altogether decide that no, nope, we're going to work with the minimum workspace where everybody is going to embrace work from home. So. The, the future is uncertain, but what, when I say this is a time of great reset, all I have to do is to look at Cambridge University. For 800 years, even through World Wars, it continued lecturing the way it did, bringing people to the classrooms and professors standing up and delivering. And now, for the first time in 800 years, Cambridge is resetting itself. Mm-hmm. All the classes will be online for 2020 and 2021. And I think that's what, what the world is. The new normal is a new change.
1: I think you're right, Murtaza. I mean, we looked at your financial post column that you wrote and, you know, it really struck us because we hear, for example, Facebook, Shopify, Twitter, all of those big companies talking about the people working from home may just stay there forever. And and that, I think, has us worried here in Calgary and Alberta as a whole, but our, our downtown business uh, you know, uh, office buildings here in our city already really low. Uh, you know, in terms of how many people our businesses are renting there. If this takes even more away, what does that mean for cities like Calgary across the country?
4: So I, I do think about Calgary and Alberta a lot because uh, when I write these columns, I have been tracking Calgary and, and, and Edmonton's housing markets for for a good two three years, and you would notice that um, the uh, housing prices, even if they are low today in Vancouver, they are up significantly from where they were five years ago. But that's not true for Calgary. Housing prices today in Calgary are much lower than where they were five years ago, which means that commercial uh, on the residential side, you have a major slowdown. And on top of it, the, the commercial side, the office space and whatnot, which is tied to the mining sector, that has been struggling for, since the crude prices went down. So um, in, on top of it, now you have a pandemic. I think there's a significant and urgent need to protect and and um, stabilize um, the real estate markets in Alberta. Because these things are cyclical in, um, on top of being... Um, stuck by an unexpected virus. But these market prices for oil and other commodities, they go up and down. And and when they're up again, we don't want to be in a situation that we let our businesses bleed to an extent that they are not able to uh, jump up and and, uh, increase the production when it's needed. So um, the way I see it, and I've been advocating for it for a long time, that Edmonton and Calgary, um, they have supported the rest of Canada for years when the oil prices were doing really well. Uh, now is the time to ensure that the office space in downtown Calgary, and it's a tremendous amount of space has been added in the past 10-15 years, um, is it, it's, um, it's protected primarily because see, if the office workers, those who work in the sort of the knowledge economy side, they stop going to work and start working from home, mm-hmm. then all other businesses that are like the restaurants, the hair salons. The the retail that springs up, that, that comes around these office spaces to support the Office of Knowledge Economy Workers, then the secondary retail restaurant sectors will also suffer. So you don't want to be walking around in a city with every other storefront is boarded. So therefore, this, this is a time when we dig deep um, into 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 our reserves and make sure that we protect
0: what needs to be protected. The aftershock when it comes to those businesses, that's something we don't think about. We just think about the empty buildings. It is going to be a, a different time for sure. Thank you for uh, joining us this morning, Murtaza. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Take care. That is Murtaza Hyder, uh, Ryerson University real estate management professor. And, Sue, we've seen this uh, from major companies. For example, last week uh, Twitter announced that their employees... We'll have the option to work 100% from home 100% of the time. Not just a pandemic thing. Shopify, we're hearing, uh, you know, in our side of the border, that Shopify is saying the same thing. And I think that a lot of people, whether or not it was just, you know, we got to keep the team together, um, thought it it wouldn't be effective to work from home. This is the ultimate experiment. So many people can get their jobs done without going into the office.
1: It's going to be interesting to see when everything reopens, we're back to, you know, a fairly normal economy, how many businesses say, you know what? it did work okay and we don't need to to have these big office buildings or these big areas where we bring all the staff in. You guys can work from home. Saves us money in the long run. But I don't know how that's going to look. There's a lot of businesses that can't do that, but yeah. there are many that can. But
0: you and I both used to work downtown in that mm-hmm. uh, coffee shop on the corner, even the subway. Hundred percent. They depend on those office buildings, so it's going to be a drastic uh, change in the whole landscape, and I would think.
1: Tough go in our city where we're already having a difficult way, you know, trying to fill those office towers downtown with the way things are. And if that changes dramatically, it, you know, it could potentially get worse, get different. We might have to really rethink. 8-12 now on your Friday morning. Despite an audit of the Calgary Board of Education that found no evidence of reckless misspending. Alberta's education minister says she will fire the current trustees in November if they don't make changes laid out in a ministerial order. The NDP's education critic, Sarah Hoffman, says the review is all about finding someone else to blame for the generational cuts to education imposed by Jason Kenney and the UCP. And she joins us now. Good morning, Minister. Hi, Sue. Thank you so much for joining us. So, Sarah, you're clearly not impressed with the province's response to this audit why exactly?
5: Well, when I talk to parents, they talk to me about their concerns about the deep cuts and layoffs that are happening all across the province, including the 20,000 educational staff that were fired at the beginning of the pandemic. They also talk to me about what are we doing to make sure we're ready when kids go back to school, that they're safe and well cared for, and that staffing levels were already too low when everyone was healthy. And of course, in a pandemic, we want to make sure that kids aren't on top of each other on the bus or or in the classroom. So these are the things that I expect uh, a minister to be dealing with in the face of this pandemic. And instead, it seems like she's uh, really focused on trying to create distractions and diversions and, um, and to uh, threaten uh, firing a board uh, when really these cuts are because of the budget that resulted in uh, these significant reductions.
0: But Sarah, what do you say to those who say that the problems with the CBE came way before the UCP came into power and even before the NDP, that the CBE has had financial woes and shortcomings for years and years. What do you say to that?
5: I don't know anyone who's going to defend that lease other than maybe the conservative uh, board at the time and the conservative cabinet minister that approved it. You know, they're are some uh, some definite challenges there. And that's why we did our own audit just a few years ago when we were in government. But uh, what is uh, clear is that this government isn't uh, focused on uh, ensuring the right staffing levels of support for kids. They're trying to pick uh, political battles and, and have uh, somebody to, somebody else to blame for their deep cuts. And if they really did care, about ensuring kids had the right amount of education they would have kept their word and maintained uh, staffing levels and funding instead of cutting
1: uh, 128 million dollars at the beginning of this pandemic. There's certainly been a lot of blowback on the cuts to education but there's also been a, a lot of open criticism of the CBE so what's the NDP's position moving forward? Yeah, that kids
5: should be the focus. We've got 5,000 new kids showing up to CBE schools, hopefully in the fall, uh, if the minister gets things right around uh, how to do the the return safely. Uh, Those kids deserve to have teachers and educational assistants and the right staff there to to support them, but uh, given the budget that this minister ran through in the spring and the cuts that she made in the days following, uh, parents don't have a lot of confidence that they're going to have the right level of support. That's what she should be focusing on right now. That's what the CBE should be focusing on right now, not uh you know this uh, massive uh, political uh posturing by the minister and and her uh, threatening um to fire them in a few months if um, if they don't uh, comply you know they really need to be focused on kids both parties
0: okay uh, sarah so we'll, let's put you in the driver's seat for a minute here uh money is tight education is uh, not cheap where do we get the monies from where do we get the monies uh, from to run the schools the way you think they should be run
5: Thanks for that, Andrew. And uh, really, the truth is, it's about priorities. So, uh, you know, Jason Kenney and the ACP chose to prioritize massive uh, corporate giveaways. Um before COVID and, and it seems like that is their uh, only solution uh, in the face of it as well. They need to make sure that, uh, that they actually do put uh, children first, present a reasonable budget that protects uh, the safety and well-being of students and staff and the families in turn that interact with all of these people and uh, a big part of that is keeping the word and at least uh, maintaining or increasing funding but they haven't done that. They cut $128 million even after they passed a budget that already cut funding from the last level of, of budget uh, under the NDP and at the same time thousands of new students have shown up to Calgary schools.
1: Education is so important to all of us so it's an issue we'll be watching ongoing for sure. Thanks for joining us Sarah appreciate your time. Thank you soon Andrew. That's Sarah Hoffman NDP education critic.
0: 818 on the morning news uh, you know the name and you know the stash. Former Calgary Flame Lanny McDonald joins us this morning to discuss a very interesting new program, Hockey 24. It's a new documentary airing uh, that provides a snapshot of a single day of hockey in Canada. Good morning, Lanny.
6: How are you today uh, in this uh, nice uh, rainy weather? <laughs> oh, man. Lovely.
0: Uh, it's lovely. Uh, it's it's going to make things green. Let's think uh, on that positive note, right? Uh, well, there you
6: go. Look on the bright side. There mm-hmm. you have
0: it. And uh, during this time where a lot of us have been spending a lot of time indoors, uh, we're hungry for great things to watch. And one of our passions in Canada is hockey. So tell us about what Hockey 24 is all about.
6: Well, I'll tell you what. It is a life uh in the day of hockey regardless of what age you are uh 55595 uh, everyone loves the game and Scotiabank's uh Hockey 24 story is not just about hockey it's it's about humanity and and if there was ever a time we needed hockey uh it's cert- uh, certainly now uh trying to help bring the the country together, and and the the film itself uh, takes in every community all across this great country.
1: So, Lanny, who's it focus on? Is it, are, is it NHL players? Is it young kids, or or all of the the above? Mm-hmm.
6: No, it's all of the above. Uh, it's it's NHL hockey. It's kids playing uh, street hockey. Uh, it, it's in every community, uh, and like I said, uh, it can be senior hockey. It can be little kids. That are just learning the game, uh, but hockey is what helps bring uh the country together and and uh, it it 's so cool to have been a part of it uh, scotia Bank has uh, we call each other teammates and darcy tucker and and uh, cassie uh, Campbell Pascal uh, and Natalie Spooner and myself are we go all all across the country. Uh, uh, promoting this great game, and, and we love it. Uh, uh, it. It teaches people uh, kind of where they fit in and, and how they can grow, and, and most of all, it teaches you about teamwork and working together, and, and what better way, especially uh, in, in this uh, time, uh, staying together and working together to make sure everyone is safe.
0: Lenny, I understand this is a professional documentary, but it has a different feel and a texture to it because a, a lot of the footage is uh, shot by Canadians, like just a regular average hockey fans. Is that uh, right?
6: That's exactly it. Uh, you send in your your uh, your film, uh, and it represents uh, all across the country and every community across Canada. And, and uh, it was in the thousands of submissions that that came in and it resulted in hundreds and hundreds of hours of filming.
1: Lenny, we'll, we'll look for it for sure Sunday, May 24th on Sportsnet. It's going to be a really fun documentary to watch. Are you, personally, are you missing hockey? Because I know a lot of times you hear about uh, professional hockey players, that, and once they retire, not really interested in watching the game anymore. Are you Are you dying for some real hockey to come back to us?
6: Uh, I am a sports junkie, but <laughs> I'm a hockey junkie. Uh, I love the game. Uh, no, uh, ever since I left, Uh, If I'm in town, I'm down cheering our Calgary uh, Flames on. uh, And I would love to see the game uh, back uh, up and running. I know they're talking a tremendous amount about a 16, a 20, or a uh, 24-team playoff. Uh, if that happens, uh, oh my gosh, that would be fabulous! But they've got to make sure and listen to all the the doctors' uh, advice and, and make sure everyone is safe uh, before they can go ahead.
0: Lanny, we've heard a couple of uh, current day players who are detractors saying that it it wouldn't be a regular Stanley Cup. It would cheapen it. Uh, in your mind, would that be the case if we went ahead? Or is a Stanley Cup a Stanley Cup? A
6: Stanley Cup is a Stanley Cup, uh, it, it, and you know what. Uh, very proud to uh, to uh, been a part of uh, not only the Stanley Cup run here in Calgary, uh, but uh, especially in '88 uh, '89 when we did win it. And if they go ahead with uh, uh, 24, say uh, 24 team uh, playoff, which drops down to 16, and then you have four rounds of seven, uh, yeah, that that's a Stanley Cup and. And uh, I hope that it happens. It, it would be sad to see it not mm-hmm. uh, uh, not handed out uh, on a yearly basis.
1: Agree with you. Thanks so much for joining us, Lanny. Pleasure to chat with you.
6: Uh, you guys take care. Great visiting and stay safe.
1: That's Lanny McDonald, former Calgary Flame and Toronto Maple Leaf. Calgarian Jessica Jansen olstad is no stranger to adversity. She's gone through more than her fair share of difficult life experiences. And she's written a book called Bring the Joy, described as a playbook on how to embrace all of life's experiences and learn from them. And she joins us now. Good morning, Jessica. Good morning. Thanks so much for being with us. You know, we all obviously have things in our lives that have taken a toll. This pandemic, just the latest example. But we've got to find a way to move through those experiences and ultimately find joy. And it's not always easy. So would love for you to tell us a little bit about your backstory and how you found joy again.
7: Yeah. So the I originally started writing a book and it was about a love story between me and my husband. And then in 2016, uh, our second child got a terminal diagnosis, which we weren't anticipating or prepared for. And the day that we got the diagnosis, you know, we had our, you know, darkest of dark moments and we were already in our own isolation bubble, very much so like this, where, you know, if someone even had a sneeze, we were told to stay away. And so, you know, we've been socially distancing. We were in and out of the hospital, felt very alone. And the day that they delivered the diagnosis that said, you know, your son probably won't make his first birthday, he was about two and a half months old. Um, We made a decision that day that regardless of what it looked like, that we would bring the joy. We had this epic journey with our son where he got to experience, you know, a front row um, seat at a concert. We had a country music singer come in and snowball fights and dance parties. And we just chose to make the most of it. And it literally was like, what can we do today? Okay, today we can play our favorite song and we can have a dance party. And that just became our mindset and our mantra and our go-to. And we had the most incredible experience. Unfortunately, my son did pass away. Um, But since then, we've created a foundation and have raised over $700,000, continuing on with that theme of bringing the joy and not letting crappy circumstances weigh you down.
0: So you, you uh, were on your way to becoming an author. This experience, this devastating experience happens to you. You switch focus. So what was it like to put your experience to paper? Because it's a vastly different book from a love story. Uh, <laughs> to a certain extent, you could say a love story of a different type. But, but what was that like, switching your focus to that book?
7: The underlining meaning of the book and where it all originated was, was I believe we all have these nudges on our heart. You know, whispers, little tugs. And you can attribute them to whatever you want. You know, call it your great Aunt Zelma, who's dead, you know, Buddha, the universe, God, whatever it is. But I believe we all have these nudges. And that was originally why I wanted to write the book. And then when my, we were going through my son's diagnosis and all the aftermath of his death and this foundation that we started, I was like, if we all just started following the nudges of our heart I truly believe we would be that much happier because when you respond to those nudges like that's where the joy comes and so um you know it was a love story but all along I just wanted to share like the love story between my husband is funny I literally had to like chase him down you know confess my undying love like three or four times I was like hello I love you and he's like that's nice like I just want to be your friend (laughs) and and if I would have just given up you know, my life would look a whole lot different. And so I just continued to follow through on the nudges. And so that theme stayed throughout. And then I just think when we lost our son, um, you know, I'd put the book on hold, obviously. I just knew that there was more to story. And I just know so many people are stuck in darkness and they are struggling and they are fighting. And it's hard. Life can be hard sometimes. And I just wanted to share our experiences saying like, hey, if we can get through death and, and make it joyful, hey, if we can get through a terminal diagnosis, like you got this too. And so we truly just want to use the story and, and our platform to show that message of hope for people.
1: I mean, we, obviously we cannot compare your traumatic experience to you know us being in isolation during a pandemic. But that being said, I'm sure you have some amazing tips that might help us take control of our own mental well-being and and maybe how to you know sort of navigate what we're going through right now
7: totally um you know it's it's so funny i um people are like how do you do it and it's become such a natural default for me to bring the joy and make joy part of our lives and so i wanted to dial that down so people can go oh yeah i can start doing that and the very first thing is is i always say look for the joy starters so a joy starter is something that, like, sparks joy in your life. And for me, there's a local artisan here. Her name's is Leandie Bray. She makes these, like, amazing, you know, mugs. They're pottery mugs. And I do a hot French press every morning. That's my jam. You know, I don't celery juice. <laughs> I'm not cleansing. It's like, give me my French press <laughs> and that mug with a hot cup of coffee. And that, for me, is a joy starter. You know, I mean, sure, I have to pay for the cost of the mug and the coffee, but it's like, it's something that's already in my home. So it's like, what is around you in your area that you love that just puts a smile on your face? And if you don't have that little thing, go find something that just kind of makes you smile or stand a little bit taller. Um, you know, it's like the simplest things like I opened up my Tupperware drawer and, drawer and my husband and I would argue because we had all these different, like we had plastic Tupperware and glass lock and we had all these different lids and things didn't fit together and it sounds so stupid but we would argue every night at dinner about couldn't find the lids and <laughs> he didn't want to put stuff away and I know people are probably laughing because they have these same conversations so you open up that dang drawer <laughs> and you can't find anything, so you know what I did? I went out, I got us all matching Tupperware all the lids fit and that drawer is a joy starter for me because there's no excuse not to be able to find something. So it's like look for the little things. It's the simplest thing like the Tupperware drawer or maybe it's even just writing a handwritten note or sending a text to a friend. But the joy starters are right there in front of you. And it's just a choice of how you look at it. Um, The next thing I always tell people is to move your dang body. Have a dance party. Crank your favorite tunes in the kitchen when you move your body. You help change your mindset, um, and it gets those endorphins flowing. And those are three very simple things that you can do. And my last and my favorite thing is, because people extended this when we were in our journey with our son, was bless it forward. How can you show up for somebody? How can you, um, you know, think of somebody else? And it's like when we serve other people, when we show up, when we do that small little act of kindness, like, it, man, it fills up your heart, and it will give you the fuel that you need to keep going on a tough day.
0: Good stuff. Thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Jessica Jansen-Oldstad is the author of Bring the Joy, a playbook on how to embrace all of life's experiences.